Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. God is here, and we're going to talk about it. So, Maxed Out is the series that we're starting this week. Last year, all of 2017, we talked about three journeys, not four, three journeys. And they were the inward journey, the upward journey, and the outward journey. All three are happening simultaneously. All three are part of our spiritual growth, and we went on all three together as a church. And that year, 2017, is over, but the outward, the, all three journeys are still going on. Just so we're clear, those journeys are not done. We are all happening, they're all happening right now, still in 2018. But we are transitioning our focus into different, different sermon series that are all isolated and all really exciting, help, hopefully helpful parts of 2018. The first one of the year is called Maxed Out, and the subtitle is Making Space for Meaning in a Crowded Life. How many want meaning and how many's lives feel crowded? Okay, so it looks like we have a good representation. Hopefully this is relevant to you because I often can relate to a, a deeper desire for, for meaning and intentionality and purpose and a feeling of maxed outness. Okay, that can also just be stress or overloaded. I got a lot going on. Pastor Cameron, next week we'll talk about uh, over was overworked, under-resourced. Uh, not over-resourced, underworked, but overworked, under-resourced. We, we, <laughs> so, look forward to that. Tonight, or not tonight, this morning, <laughs> I don't know where I'm at. This morning, we're going to talk about practicing the presence of God. We want to practice, we want to be a people who practice the presence of God because God is... He is everywhere, but He is here. Wherever we are, He is everywhere, but He is here. And that, that, is, that is true wherever you go. That's true in the gathering, and it's true in the scattering. When we go all our different places to our jobs, and to our homes, and to our neighborhoods, and everything we do, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, but He's also here, because He's in you. So that's what hopefully I want to unpack. The theme verse... I'm going to turn this on. The theme verse... For this series is Philippians 4, 12 through 13. It says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. We focus, maybe we hear a lot about verse 13, but it's in the context of verse 12, which says that, I've learned the secret of being content no matter what my circumstances tell me. No matter what life looks like, I have a deeper abiding sense of contentment that comes from Him who gives me strength. What I want to point out is it comes from an awareness of the abiding presence of God in my life. That's the secret. No matter what your circumstances for being content, the secret is knowing that the presence of God is with you and for you and available to you no matter what, where you are. So, here is a tree. This tree 
is leafless and fruitless in its appearance. I don't know what you think about when you see, when you see a tree like that, um, but, but I want to tell you a story about a man named Nicholas Herman who lived in the 1600s in eastern France. Nicholas Herman was not born into any noble uh, family. He, was, he did not have anything that he carried or any, any title that was given to him. Uh, he was born, like I said, into, a, into an impoverished family, and his, he thought that his, his way out was to join the military, that he would, have, he would have sustenance, he'd be able to do something with his life, he'd be able to have food and clothing and everything else. So he was in the military in France for a couple of years until he was injured. He thought, well, I need, I need another way of sustenance, and so he decided to join the Carmelite uh, Monastery in Paris. Before he did that, he saw a tree. While he was still in the army in this transition period, he saw, that he saw a tree, and just in the normal course of life, he was struck by not the barrenness of the tree, but the prospect of the, the, its future fruit and life that, that was in a couple months going to be on the tree. So it wasn't the tree itself, but it was the idea. It was really, he was struck by the love of God and the providence of, and faithfulness of God that in this tree, he, could just, he, he just had the sense that God is so faithful and in a couple months, that tree's going to be full of fruit and full of life. So that was his conversion story, which is kind of bizarre and pretty cool. He then went and joined the monastery where he was a lay brother. He did not, uh, he wasn't a monk, he wasn't a priest, he didn't have any, he didn't have any training, he just wanted, I just want to serve, I just want to be here. His name, uh, once he joined the monastery, was Brother Lawrence. And he really is known for writing this book called Practicing the Presence of God, which was written in the context of him being a kitchen aide. What he did was he washed dishes. How many of you wash dishes? Okay, that's pretty much everyone. And, how, and, he, and, he, and he cleaned clothes. How many of you do your own laundry? Okay, well, hopefully, hopefully at some point you can learn that. I'm just kidding. Um, and later in his life, he made sandals. So these are all things that he, 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 he was occupied by the presence of God, but he was doing stuff. Oftentimes we can get this idea that in order to practice the presence of God, I need to be isolated and unproductive and in a room by myself for hours and hours so that I can practice the presence of God and really tune into His nearness. But we see from this story that He was, he was always doing things. And in the normal everyday stuff of life, He carried with Him a, 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 a practice that He had developed of being aware of God's presence while He was doing everything else that He had to do which I think is pretty cool and encouraging. There's this quote that I think we can relate to, some of us more than others, but I think it's encouraging. So let's read it. I make it my business only to persevere in his holy presence, wherein I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God, or to speak better, an habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God which often causes me joys and raptures inwardly, and sometimes also outwardly, so great that I'm forced to use means to moderate them and prevent their appearances to others. You know? 
This is like, this is pre-Toronto blessing. This is pre-Azusa Street. This is 1600s. But he's describing something that's, that's very common for many of us. And we all experience the presence of God in different ways. So I don't want to say that this is the way where you feel something and you're, you're kind of out, you don't know how to control it. But often, when, when God touches you, there's, 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 a, there's a passivity to just receiving what he's doing by his presence that is a, a, apart from you. It's, it's simply allowing God and his presence to, to, over, to overshadow you and to have his way in your life. And he describes something that I, I know I'm, I've grown to be familiar with is just simply the, an awareness of the presence of God that comes by simply tuning into his nearness and his closeness and his desire to be with you. God's heart is to be among you and to dwell with you. I want to try to take that from a concept to a, to a reality that isn't isolated to a gathering, but it's the reality that you carry with you, the, the personal understanding and culture that you carry with you wherever you go. An awareness of the presence of God. Because we were made for the presence of God. We, no matter who you are, where you come from, what your history is, you were made for the presence of God. The reason I say that is because I think Scripture is, is pretty clear that that's God's objective. The, the, scripture, the story of Scripture begins and ends with the presence of God. It begins and ends with God dwelling among His people in intimate, relational experience among His people. We, we are in the series Maxed Out, which is about creating space for meaning. And there's nothing more meaningful, no matter what you do throughout the day, carrying a, carrying a sense of, of the presence of God and His pleasure over you. That, that can be a filter through which you see your purpose in the earth. To where your meaning is not derived from, from any other thing than just the meaning of, of knowing that you're loved and that God is with you and for you and wants to, to, to have you be aware of that. God's desires for his people to experience his relational presence. So I said it begins and ends. Scripture begins and ends with his people in his presence. Genesis 1 and 2 is a good place to start. That's where scripture begins. It's the garden. It's the picture of God dwelling among his people. Adam and Eve living in the presence of God. And they're not, they're not just living in a state of, of disembodied euphoria. They're actually told to do things. And their doing of things is reflecting the image of God. The, the work that they're doing is a direct reflection of the image of God that they were created in. God worked for the six days of creation, and then he, he creates Adam and Eve and tells them to work, just like he did. So Genesis 1, 28 27 to 28, says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden 
to work it and to take care of it. Now these are several different ways of describing humanity's purpose in the garden. Was to work the garden, to take care of the garden, to be fruitful and to multiply in the garden, to fill the earth to where the garden, the borders of the garden extended throughout the whole earth. And to subdue the garden and to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So as the, as the, as the borders of the garden extend, God's presence that's, that's imminent in the earth extends with the borders of the garden. That's the mandate that they're given in, in the garden. This is, uh, if I, I want to be clear that this is, this is an endorsement of labor pre-fall. This is an endorsement all the parents. This is an endorsement of, of work before the fall. Oftentimes we can think about our work, the stuff you do every day, the stuff you do to make money, the stuff you do to not make money, but the work that you're, that's involved in your life as a distraction from the presence of God. We can view it as kind of a necessary evil that we have to do so that we can make time to then be in the presence of God. But what we see in, this, in, this, in the garden is that the work itself was set apart and unto God, and the presence of God filled their work. Right? Their, their work, that their, their productivity, the work that they did to work the garden, to take care of the garden, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to rule over all the other animals, that was in the midst of the presence of God. And it wasn't apart from the blessing and the closeness of God's imminence and His, and His presence. This is, this is really important because when we think of the stuff that we do as, as a necessary product of the fall, we have to work, it's laborsome, and I can't wait till I don't, then we miss the reality. This is a part of God's original creation. If, 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 if God's, the coming of God's kingdom is restoring in many ways the garden, and this is part of the garden, then what does it mean for us to, to be made in God's image and to be, to be workers like God is a, is a worker? So, this is the garden. This is pre-fall endorsed work. Now, we know the curse in Genesis 3 brought brought toils, brought thorns, brought chaos to the work itself. But if we see Jesus as redeeming us to be a people of the garden, then all those things can be, can be parsed out and we can recognize that there are parts of our lives, there are parts of our experience with the work that are, that are broken, that are, that are wrong, but the work itself unto God, His presence fills it and surrounds it and it's good. So, here's another passage this is after Adam and Eve sinned, ate the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, ate the fruit. It says this, Genesis 3, 8 through 10. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Notice how close he is. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Again, the context of this scene is directly after the disobedience of eating of the, of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And the result post this scene is God bringing a curse on the serpent and then particular curses on the woman and the man as a result of the disobedience, which ultimately exiled them from the garden. They were exiled from the place of free access to the presence of God. They were removed from that. However, throughout the story of Scripture, we see God's heart always on the move to bring His presence back to His people. So, the, <laughs> Revelation 21, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to read it because it's up there. This is the end of the story. God's presence is, is coming back to His people. I heard the Lord from, from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them. They shall be His people, and God will be among them. This is the end of the story. Beginning of the story, end of the story. God will be among His people. Back to the point I was trying to make. Forgot that slide. God promises to bring His presence back to His people. And this is the thread we see throughout Scripture from the beginning to then. God's promise is to bring His presence back to His people. We see this through several major covenants or promises that God makes with His people throughout Scripture. I'll point out two. The Mosaic Covenant where God brings His law. He brings many, many things to say to his people so that they can live in the context of a God who dwells among them in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Tabernacle, God fills the presence of the tabernacle in Exodus 40, if you read about it. And it's a manifest presence of God. The glory of God fills the temple. God's bringing his presence back to his people on on his terms. So he doesn't compromise his holiness when he brings his presence back to his people. But his heart is to is to be among the people who he's made in his own image for his glory. We read in Exodus 29, the heart of God, where he says, verse 45, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. That's why I did that. I am the Lord their God. So that I might dwell among them. The, the second and most important aspect of God's promise to bring his presence back to his people is found in Jesus. He's promised to bring his presence back to his people to the extent that he himself took on flesh in the Son and brought the presence of God back to his people. In Emmanuel, Matthew 1, 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The whole point The whole story is that God wants to bring his presence back to his people and it says that Emmanuel is God with us. What's interesting, if you track the presence of God throughout the Old Testament, there's a a period, if you read Ezekiel 8, 9, and 10, God's presence actually departs from the temple before the temple is destroyed. In Ezekiel 10, it says that God's presence lifted up from the temple. The next time that God, God's presence came to the temple was when Jesus returned to the temple in Matthew 12. And, what, and, and how was it recognized? The children cried out, Hosanna in the highest. Hos- Glory to the Son of David. And yet the Pharisees said, they were indignant. They said, Get, no, you can't, you can't be here because Jesus was mad because they were selling and buying religion and, 
and, and, and so he, he caused the scene. But that was, that was, the six, it was 600 years that the presence of God was not in the temple. Even, even after the Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuilt the temple, there's no other scene that says the presence of God came and filled the temple like it did with the tabernacle and with the temple in Exodus 40 and then 1 Kings 8 when the, when the temple's filled after Solomon builds it. When they rebuilt the temple, the presence of God doesn't ever fill it again. But, but, but the promise remains, my presence will dwell among my people, and that's Jesus coming to be the presence of God among the people and then to be able to release the presence of God through the power of his resurrection to his people who would, who would call on his name by, through his spirit. And so this, the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of the presence of God and the God, God's heart to be among his people. Not just among him, them in isolation, in a place, but among them in their midst, in their hearts, in their lives. That, th- that there would be nowhere they could go that God's presence wasn't with them. Yeah. So that's, that's us. If you recognize Jesus as Lord and, and, and know that you're, the Holy Spirit is, is in you, that God's presence goes, there's nowhere you can go from His presence. There's no place you can go to escape Him. But on the other side of it, God's presence is, is with us. Look at, all the, look at the whole story. Look at what He's done. He's given us his presence without compromising his holiness. So that means we're forgiven. That means we're cleansed. That means we're worthy by the blood of Jesus to step into the presence of God because Jesus is, has ransomed us. And so I don't, it's easy to kind of make, make the presence of God an optional aspect for the super spiritual. You know, an optional aspect of the Christian life, but the reality is that the whole God's heart is to bring His presence back to His people. The relational, experiential presence of God that was in the garden, where they could hear the sound of, garden, of, of God walking. That's the presence of God that God wants to bring to us right now. So, are you aware of God's presence in your everyday life? We can experience God's presence in corporate worship. We've done that this morning. We've gathered together, and there's a unique aspect, and this is not, what I'm, not the point, but I do want to mention, there's the unique aspect of God's presence that comes when His people gather together. And when, when in a corporate setting, there's a collective sound of, of worship released. There's a unique aspect. of the Throughout Scripture, the presence of God comes in a unique way. However, God's presence is not isolated to Sunday morning. God's presence goes with you wherever you go. And so are you aware of God's presence in your everyday life? In your cooking and cleaning and laundrying and and folding clothes and signing checks and banking and emailing and everything that you do on a normal day, are you aware that God is with you? Are you aware that His presence is for you? And then he's pleased, he's delighted in you in simply doing what you've been called to do. We can have this pressure that I need to be aware, I need to live in a constant awareness of God's presence, and then I, at the end of the day, I realize that, oh, I've, I've not done that. I, and I can feel guilty. And, and there is an aspect of wanting to cultivate an awareness of God, like what, of, of, of his presence, but... I want to also encourage you that simply by doing what you are doing, whatever you do for work or whatever you do during your, your day, on a normal day, 
simply by doing that for His glory, you are worshiping Him and His presence is, is fully present to you in, in that, in, in those times. So, I'm, I'm trying to land more on the side of, of work because the garden shows us that, the, that, that, that our work is a part of creation. It's not a part of the fall. It's not a part of uh, a necessary evil, but it's, 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 it reflects God. So, I asked several different people at New Day to kind of share with me, hey, for you, what does it look like to practice the presence of God throughout the week? And I'll just share a couple of those stories here. So here's just three. I experience God at work when I choose God at home. When I don't choose God at home, I rarely experience God at work. I didn't give any other qualifier. I just said, hey, how do you, experience, how do you, how do you practice God's presence? How do you experience God's presence at work? I thought this was very insightful, very self-aware. But then he goes on to say, Later, he goes, isn't it funny how I know what my problem is? I know what I don't do, but yet I don't always do it. Right? There's an element of habit that involves practicing the presence of God that, that needs to be incorporated and diligently filled or uh, worked into your life that, uh, that involves more than just a realization God's with you, but uh, finding ways to incorporate, reminding yourself of his presence. So here's a second. To experience God at w- God's presence at work, I needed to stop ignoring nudges of conviction, and when I screwed up, I repented. So this individual was experiencing God at work, but then when there was a conviction of, of whatever it was, for a while she had been just ignoring it, like, no, 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 God's not at work. But when she started recognizing that that nudge of conviction was the presence of God, and she was able to re- repent of whatever it was, then God's presence be- that it became more felt, more uh, real. Here's the second one, third one, I mean. single most important factor for me to be able to foster an awareness of God's presence at work has been through practicing forgiveness. If I'm quick to forgive, then anger and resentment don't get a grip. I believe that if I want to carry his presence, then there isn't room for unforgiveness. This is very practical. This is his practical life in the world. Forgiveness and unforgiveness and repentance and choosing God at home are all part of just daily decisions that we make. We all have the opportunity to make decisions to practice the presence of God throughout the day. God, God's presence is what we're made for. We're made for God's presence. So here's a picture of my daughter, Junia. This is what, I, what we end up calling the train face because if she heard the train passing by our house, she'd go, you hear that? It's a train. And, and we'd all, it would be this thing where we'd, she'd all, we'd all stop and she would just notice it until it kind of faded off into the distance. And it really taught me something about, about being aware of God's presence. That's why I'm pointing this out. You, the, the, the train can just easily not even register, not even be on the radar. But what would, it, what would it look like if we all began to register and began to hear the sound of God in our life and take notice of it and respond to it? Just like, just like 
Junia, hearing the train and, and responding to it. What would it look like for us to, to just pause and hear the pleasure of God and hear the voice of God and hear his, what he's doing in the world and what he's doing in our own life? Just throughout the day, whenever he might walk by, whenever we might hear the sound of God in the garden, what would it look like for us to just stop? I said, you hear that? I hear the Lord. What, I hear what he's doing. If, if it's true that we're made for the presence of God, then everything counts. You can't check God off because God is, consumes the list. He consumes the checklist. Uh, you can't delegate God's presence to a Sunday because he fills every day. There is something about the presence of God that um, is so capturing. It's so captivating if we would uh, just be willing to, to take notice and listen to what he's doing. Listen to, to him in our midst. So I want to I read, uh, I want us all to stand, if, we, if you're able. We're going to read a passage of scripture that speaks uh, to the presence of God. And then I'm going to pray for us as we go. Yeah, we're going to read it together. So if you can all voice this. <laughs> Psalm 16, 7 through 11. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 